Again, we're at 1 Peter chapter 5. As you might remember, this text should look familiar to you. It's the same text we read last week. So this is part two, and uh, same text and uh, much more to get out of it. Uh, so please uh, hear now the word of the Lord uh, from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. So I exhort you, elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Peter. And though he was such a weak man, you used him so powerfully. And so, Lord, I stand before you as a weak man, and I ask that you would use me powerfully, not for my sake, but for their sake. For your church, this is your bride, and you are building this church. So, Lord, I want to be used by you. Willingly, I come. Lord, I pray for them that they too would willingly bring their hearts and their minds and receive this word. Lord, we do ask your help in these things. In the great name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. <clears throat> I don't know if you're familiar with the events, the high jump and the pole vault. There's something unique about them. Think about them as opposed to other um, competitions. What's unique about them is even the winner finishes in failure. Everything about that? The high jump and the pole vault, they Winner finishes in failure because they keep raising the bar until they can't make it over it. And so the winner still fails his very last attempt, but he just got the highest over anyone else. Well, now last week you might have felt like I just kept raising the bar on the high jump, right? We talked about that an elder must shepherd the flock. And I told you a good shepherd must know the flock, but not only must he know them, but he needs to feed them and then he needs to lead them and, and then he needs to protect them. And you're like, well, Nathan, if you want to get elders, that's not the way to do it. You just proved to us that no one can jump and clear that high jump. Well, today we're looking at the same passage, and my heart is to encourage you that no man here should rule out the possibility that God might be calling him to be an elder or a deacon. Okay, so that's my task at this really high bar, and that's what we need to look at this passage again for is how is this even possible? How should we not all cross our names off the list, me included? How can we not all rule ourselves out? So look at page 7. You see the outline. It should look familiar as well to you. What is God's vision for the role of elder? First, as we talked about last week, we must shepherd the flock. You see those four words, knowing and feeding and leading and protecting. Then secondly, so we're to shepherd the flock as examples to the flock, two. And then three, under the chief shepherd. So shepherd the flock. This is review here, but if you weren't here, you didn't hear this. And so this will all be new to you, but for everyone else, it's review. So first, knowing. How does a shepherd know the flock? 
First, the macro. Remember last week we talked about macro and micro, the large, big picture, and the small. So on a macro level, to know the flock is to know who's in the flock. Who are my sheep and who aren't my sheep, remember? And so is everyone who ever comes through the door of the church part of the flock? Well, no, it's those who've committed themselves in a relationship that they're responsible for. Just like men, if you have a wife, you're not responsible for every woman on the street. You're responsible for the one that you're in covenant relationship with, right? So also in the church, the elders are in a covenant relationship with those who have joined the church, right? So on a macro level, the shepherd needs to know who are the members, who has joined themselves to the church. Okay, that's big picture. On a small level, what does it look like to know? It's very relational, right? And one of our core values is real friendships, that elders need to have real friendships with other people in the church, really know them. One of the ways we do this is through annual shepherding visits for an elder or pastor to come sit with the family and say, hey, how are you doing? What are you anxious about? What are you struggling with? How can we pray for you? How can we help you? Knowing the flock, very, very important. Elders must nurture and care for the flock. On Thursday morning in our men's leadership study, we were looking at this from, um, from a man's point, from a father's and a husband's point of view. What is that? Because we realized was all these same thing apply to fathers and husbands. We need to know our wives and our children. We had a great conversation. It's really interesting. Knowing is harder than we think. To really know those who God has given for us to care for. So knowing then feeding. Christians don't eat grass like, like uh, sheep do, right kids? What do we eat? We eat the word of God. And so a shepherd or an elder is to feed the flock. 1 Timothy 3.2 says, Therefore an overseer must be able to teach. Able to teach, whether it's preaching like this or teaching Sunday school. Brad did a great job this morning. He taught Sunday school. Right? You could do that too. Or teach a missional community. Whether you're the leader all the time or you just ask your leader and say, Hey, I'd love to lead sometime. Could I teach sometime? Okay, so you need to feed. So knowing and feeding and then leading. And, and um, husbands and fathers, think about this. As I go through these, what does that look like as a husband and father to do that same thing in your house, to feed your family? Okay, then the third is leading. On the macro level, elders make all the decisions, right? They decide what's the vision. They cast the vision. Big macro level, they, they have authority. On a micro level, what does it look like to lead? One of the main ways is discipleship, another core value of our church. To disciple, to intentionally pour into someone else's life, that you would help them grow in their relationship with God. Another way, a part of aspect of leading, one of another core value is living on mission. That, that was one of our what we focused on last year, if you might remember. Right? So to live like you're a missionary. So elders are to lead by example in that. Right? That we're to live on mission and then help others do the same. Jesus said in Matthew 9, 37, he said, The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into the harvest. That's one of my heart's desires, is that many of you, God would send out into the harvest, whether it's just down your street or whether it's across an ocean, or to be a leader in the church, that God would raise up. And so an elder is to pray, to pray earnestly that God would raise men up. So that's the first three, so knowing, feeding, leading, and the last was protecting. All right, so who do they need protecting from? You remember last week? It was great because last week we were in there, I was like right, we were like three feet away from each other. So remember the very first um, enemy you have is yourself, which was fun to get to say that to you like right in your face. It was fun. Now I'm much farther removed, but it's true, isn't it? One of your greatest enemies is yourself, same as me, 
your flesh, that sinful part of you, you still want to do what you shouldn't do. Kids, don't you know this? What comes most natural? It's not obeying, right? It's a disobey. It's true for all of us. And so the shepherd is to help protect. You can't imagine a, a shepherd watching a sheep walking toward a cliff and, and not running and grabbing that sheep. They don't care whether they offend the sheep. They just love them. So elders must be able to confront people with their sins, lovingly, gently, to say, I'm concerned about you. I don't want you to run off the cliff. Elders are to protect the sheep from themselves, but also, well, so in extreme cases, that looks like church discipline, right? If the sheep is very ornery and won't listen, won't listen, finally the church has to get involved. It's the way the church, Scripture lays out for what happens when sheep go really astray. Um, the second enemy is wolves in the church. You remember that? We talked about those who are in the church who are functioning as a wolf. Jesus warned, Matthew 7, 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. That doesn't sound good. It's true. Every church. Isn't it wild? I mean, you think there's plenty of other places for people to be. Why would someone come in a church and like try to stir up mischief? Well, partly it's because Satan wants to work in through people, and he deceives people and turns them around. Elders must do that. Oftentimes in churches, it's the strong-willed, outspoken, highly opinionated people who run the show, unless elders do their job. If elders don't do their job, mayhem happens. Must protect against wolves in the church also, against the world. They must protect against the world. Uh, The world tries to deceive Christians of all kinds of destructive lies about gender, sexuality, about worshiping your job, making it your idol, all kinds of things. And so the elder's job is to say, don't listen to those lies. And, you know, in relationship, in their homes, as in friends, from the pulpit, in Sunday school, everywhere, to say, do not be deceived. There's a constant narrative from the world just pressing on believers all the time. It's our job to try to protect. And the last was, you remember, Satan and the demons. We read Ephesians 6, 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. That's who we wrestle against. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. He didn't say they won't war against it, they won't press against it, it just says they won't prevail. It is the elders who protect the flock and who remind the flock, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. This is from James 4, 7 and 8. Uh, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Okay, so that's what we talked about last week, remember? So those four things. We must shepherd the flock. Okay, so now we're going to spend the remainder of our time looking at the rest of the passage. So point two says, as examples to the flock. So in what way are elders to shepherd the flock and then exercise oversight? Notice in verse two and three, let's look at those verses. He does this interesting thing where three times he says, not this, but that. He's going to say that three times. Look at it. Verse two, shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight, and here's the first one, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Secondly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And third, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Let's unpack each of those. Okay, the first one said, um, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. What would that look like? About that, what would it look like for an elder to be an elder under compulsion? 
Well, I can tell you things it wouldn't look like. It would not look like you becoming an elder because you were an elder at the last church. Right? You have just compulsion. Well, I did it before. I got to do it now. Not a good reason. Not because you think others are expecting you to. You know, I think probably everyone else expects me to be an elder. Not a good reason. Others' expectations. Not because we really need elders. We do really need elders. That's not a good reason to do it, just because there's a need. So he says, not under compulsion. Not because you're driven by it, but willingly as God would have you. Because you actually feel called. You actually feel in your heart that God wants me to do this. That's a good reason. Not all those other reasons. Do you desire to do this? That's my question to you this morning. Do you desire to do all those things I just talked about? Do you desire to have real friendships with other believers? To really know them and carry their burdens? Do you desire to teach and help others to understand God's word? Do you desire to help other people grow in Christ? Do you desire to lead other people spiritually? To protect them from spiritual dangers? Do you desire these things? And I ask you to consider, are these things you desire? Desire is critical. We can teach you skills. You can learn them. But I cannot train desire. Only God can put desire in our hearts. And often there's things that that prevent desire, right? There's all these layers of sin. It's been true of my own journey. I don't have time to tell you that, uh, that story. If you know me well, you know. Just my own journey, how not all these gifts were evident a long time ago. There were a lot of layers hiding them. That might be true in you. I mean, things hiding gifts God's put in you. Remember last week, kids, you remember who wrote the book of 1 Peter? This is review. Who wrote it? There you go. It's Peter. What do you know about Peter? Was he like this stellar, perfect guy that always got it right? Far from it. He was not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Peter was impulsive, wasn't he? Let me just remind you of a few um, highlights from his ministry. Uh, He was with Jesus. He had something profound to say. Jesus turned to him and said, get behind me, Satan. Well done, Peter. Whatever. So he was being used as a mouthpiece for Satan. All right, Peter. That's an example to follow. Uh, Jesus is washing all the disciples' feet. What does Peter say? He says, Don't wa- you can't wash my feet, Jesus. Jesus says, no. If I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. This is John 13. So then what does Peter say? Well, then wash all of me. Wash my hands and my head. Peter, just let him wash your feet, would you? Okay, just cooperate. This is simple, right? This is Peter. In Luke 22, we find Peter. <clears throat> uh, Jesus is talking to him. Um, toward the end, nearing the crucifixion. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. See, Satan saw something in Peter. He says, I can do something with this guy. He wanted to sift Peter like wheat. Jesus said, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. There Peter goes again. I tell you, Peter, Jesus says, The rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times. Well, praise God that that, uh, Christ prayed for Peter because he became a great man, but it was not because he was great. Now, hopefully this is is encouraging to you. You know, a lot of those things you haven't done. You haven't made those mistakes. You made other mistakes, but you haven't made those mistakes. Now, if that's not encouraging enough, let me give you more reason. Let's just take a, a, a brief survey through Scripture here. And I want to tell you of some names that are familiar to you. 
that God used mightily. So if you think that God can't use you, remember that Noah got drunk. He did. Abraham, oh, he was too old. Timothy, he was too young. Zacchaeus, he was too short. Jacob was a liar, and God used him. Joseph was abused by his family. God used him. Moses, he was bad at public speaking. Gideon, terribly afraid. Samson, he was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. David had an affair and was a murderer. Jonah ran from God. Naomi, she was a widow. Job went bankrupt. The disciples fell asleep while they were praying. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. Martha worried about everything. Paul was a murderer. Timothy had stomach problems. I appreciate that one. Lazarus, he was dead. God used all these people. Did any of those things stop God? No. No. Hear the words from 1 Corinthians 1. I love this. This fits me well. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. I often remind myself of these verses. God chose that which is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even those things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. You see, God needs to pick guys like us. Guys that, are, that don't do things well because then we, we're less likely to boast. To say, oh, it's, it's all me. I, I was great before Jesus got me and I've, I've stayed great. No. I was weak and I was foolish. And I remain that way and God somehow manages to use me and it's to his glory. You see, that's his pattern. So if you fit any of those attributes, you well qualify on that part to be used by God, to come from humble beginnings. To come from humble beginnings. You might have heard this line often quoted, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. He doesn't call the qualified, he doesn't look out there and say, who are the great men that I'm going to then use? He chooses weak people and then qualifies them. So there are qualifications. We're going to look at them in coming weeks. But they're things that God works in us. If they aren't true of you now, pray that they would. If you have a desire to be used by God in other people's lives, pray, God, make these things true of me. You know, many men who are called by God argued. We talked about Moses, who was poor in speech. We find him interacting in Exodus 4 with God. This is the burning bush. Let's read that account. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in, in the part, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who made man's mouth? Who made man's mouth? He's like, Come on, Moses, do you understand? I created you. Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with you. I'll be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. You see what God is doing with Moses? He's saying, I know you're weak, but I created you. Do you not think that I can raise you up for the purpose that I have? Jeremiah the prophet, very similar. This is Jeremiah 1. He says, oh, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am a youth. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a youth, 
For to all whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. He doesn't like say, you're great. He says, I am great and I am with you. Men, God is great and he's with you. Isaiah, very similar as well. So Isaiah is being called. He's having this encounter with God. He says, woe to me for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who shall go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. So our passage today says, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. If God would have you, are you willing? If God would have you, are you willing? Now, of course, Peter's speaking to men who are already elders, and he's saying, do this, do your your elderly duties willingly, but it certainly applies to those before they're even elders. And that would be you. But many of these aspects, this job description of an elder, you can do right now. Many of them you already have a duty to do to your wife and to your children. You can right now know and carry other people's burdens. There's people in this church who are hurting. Get to know them and carry their burdens. Any of you can do that. Feed your own families with the word of God. If you have a family, if you're married, you have a family. Even with no kids, so a family. Or if you have children. Lead your families to follow God. By setting an example for them, help them, encourage them, pray for them. You can provide protection for your friends. You know, this is a great, many times people will speak into other people's lives. Ladies, you can do this. Is there any lady who's speaking into your life? Is there any lady that you're speaking into their their life? Right, this is a definite need. It's not just a man's job. Everybody, even kids. Do you ever give your siblings a suggestion? Didn't mom tell you not to do that? Right, that's, you're helping out. Right, that we can all lead each other. And protect each other from believing the lies all around us to resist the flesh. Okay, that was the first. The second of those three was not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Do not desire to be an elder for any selfish reason. To receive praise, receive honor. Obviously, that's not a reason to do it. But eagerly. Motive really matters. No one should become an elder or deacon for selfish reasons. Bad idea. Mark 10, 45, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay, that's the second, not for shameful gain. And the third is, look there in verse 2 and 3, it's verse 3, not domineering. Domineering. Kids, you know that word, domineering? Have you ever been bossy to a sibling? Like told them what to do real loudly? It's kind of domineering. Have you ever seen an adult do that, yell at someone else? They kind of intimidate them to get them to do. That's domineering. Men don't do that with your wives. <clears throat> Kids don't do that with each other. But particularly, elders should not do that. Elders should not domineer. This is an abuse of power. It's just to care for the flock, not abuse the flock. Now, there might be some of you here who actually are delaying even joining our church because this happened to you. 
You've been in another church and you were domineered. There's someone that abused power at a church and you're still recovering from that. We are very committed to hearing and obeying Peter's words. We do not intend to lead by domineering, but what does he say? Lead by example. Lead by example. We should all do this in our homes with each other. Kids, you should do this with with your siblings. Hey, let's do this together instead of being bossy. Right? Isn't that practical? You can do this. We should not domineer those to our charge. We're going to look at this a lot more when we get to qualifications about doing it by example. But let me just read you a couple verses. This is from Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, which is a word in our verses A, verse 5, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Timothy uh, Laniac, from his book, Shepherds After My Own Heart, says, authority without compassion leads to harsh authoritarianism. Authority without compassion. Compassion without authority leads to social chaos. So we need both authority and compassion. So I encourage you, as you consider who would be a good elder, consider who do you want to submit to? You actually get to decide. Who am I going to submit to? Who do you want to be in authority over me? Who is going to not domineer? Who is going to lead by example? Who do I respect enough to place in authority over me or place me under their spiritual authority? And if you're not a member, consider joining because you can't even do it if you aren't a member yet. So that's important. But our, our, our passage isn't finished. It ends with this very encouraging verses. So the third point, under the chief shepherd. I mean, it almost sounds like we're putting all our eggs in the basket of these elders. We aren't. Verse 5 clarifies that. Look at verse 5. It says, likewise, oh, no, verse 4, sorry. And when the chief shepherd appears, we mentioned this last week in closing, last week. The chief shepherd appears. Who's that? Who's the chief shepherd? Kids, who's the chief shepherd? Jesus, that's right. Jesus is the chief shepherd. You might even hear us called under-shepherd sometimes. A very fitting term. I'm an under-shepherd under the chief shepherd. Because he ultimately calls all the shots. That's whose basket you're putting all your eggs in. Right? So when you become a part of a church, even when you marry, you're entrusting not just yourself to your husband, but to your real king. In the passages that talk about this in marriage, talk about this, that you're entrusting yourself to God. He's really the ultimate one. Same with the church. There, we, I, I will fail you at some moment, in some way. Everyone will fail at some moment, but Jesus never fails us. He's the perfect shepherd. We're all serving under him. He calls the shots. He's the one who perfectly preserves, protects, nourishes, and cares for us. I'm so thankful for that. It takes pressure off me that I'm, you're not, all your hope is not in me and Brandon and anyone else that become elders. It's ultimately in Christ. Kids, you know what's going to happen? You are going to grow up. I know that might not. Do you know your, your friends are going to start getting married? Can you imagine that? Your friends getting married. It's going to happen. And then you know what they're going to do? They're going to ask you to be in their wedding. You're going to get to be a groomsman or a bridesmaid. Do you know what the, those people do? Do you know what a bridesmaid does, a groomsman does? No? I'll tell you. Their job, their sole job is to help. They're just to help. On the day, the bridesmaids are helping the, the, the um, bride get anything she needs. The groomsmen are helping the groom, right? 
Okay, so imagine a wedding. You know, in a wedding, you have the bride and the groom in the middle, and you have all the, the whole wedding party standing right beside. Could you imagine a groomsman flirting with the bride? It'd be awful, wouldn't it? Like trying to get her attention. Or maybe a bridesmaid trying to flirt with the groom, trying to get his attention. Wouldn't that be crazy? You know, there, there's a great illustration that th- that's like this, that um, who's the bride of Christ? It's you. You're the bride of Christ, right? And it would be terrible for me as a groomsman to try to flirt with you, to get your attention, get your affection. No, no, no. My job is to connect you to your groom. You are to marry Jesus. And so my job and every elder's job is simply to do our part, to help you or to help Jesus, right? Jesus doesn't need help, just you guys, right? It's a great picture. And so when you think about that, becoming an elder, being a pastor, is simply like being a groomsman or being a best man in a wedding. The whole job is just to help, to help connect the bride to her groom, that she would be beautiful and prepared for it. Verse 5, look at verse 5. It says, God opposes the proud. I mean, think about how furious a groom would be with his groomsmen if they were flirting with his bride. It's true with Jesus too. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. But look there. Look at verse 4 again. For the faithful, um, and this, this, I was reading this and praying this this morning. When the chief shepherd appears, you, speaking to the elders, will receive the unfading crown of glory. You know, if we do our job well, there's a great reward from the chief shepherd as under-shepherds. And so as you consider this, it is a lot of work. Is being an elder a lot of work? Yes. Is it worth it? Absolutely. Is it rewarding? Absolutely. To help other people, it's very, very rewarding. But then in the end, God rewards his under-shepherds. What an encouraging promise. As we close, I want to go back to that verse I read to you from Isaiah. You remember when Isaiah was being called? He was encountering God. He said, woe to me, I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. Remember that? I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Whom will go for us? Then I said, here I am. Send me. Here I am, send me. Now, you might not be called to be an elder or a deacon, but God's called you to something. He has purpose for you. The only way any of you ever know what God has called you to, if you make yourself available to serve, to serve in small ways, to serve in big ways. Here I am, send me. Is that your heart's cry that you would say to your Lord, Lord, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't even know what I'm gifted at but here I am. Send me. So that's my question to you. Is that your disposition? If not, prepare your heart for the Lord has plans and purposes for all of us. We are the body of Christ and every one of my body parts is pretty instrumental to me and they all do their function. So also are each of you. You are the body of Christ. He has purpose for all of us. Let us be about doing those purposes. Let's pray. Oh, Chief Shepherd, Lord, our eggs are in your basket. Our hope is in you and you alone. You you are the only perfect shepherd. I'm painfully aware of my weakness, and many of them are too. Lord, I pray that you would be raising up and stirring in men's hearts, even this morning, desire, 
desire to do the duties you've already given them, if they're a father or a husband, desire to serve others, to love others, to lead and feed and know and protect others. Lord, I'm confident this is your church. You raised me up from very humble beginnings, and I remain humble, Lord, but I know that you are raising up others, and so, Lord, I pray that you would. I've I have confidence in you. This is your church, not mine. Lord, I pray that you would do this. And then, Lord, I pray for all of us that you would help all of us to be willing to do the callings. We have that mothers be willing, not under compulsion, but to do their duty to their husbands and to their children. That children would do their duties as they're called by you to be children. Lord, you've given all of us many things to do. Lord, give us willing hearts. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.